a uh, couple things before we get started. Um, number one, I promise I'll stand up tonight. I'm not going to hide behind the pulpit like I did the last time I was up here. Brandy told me it looked like I was trying to hide behind this thing. So, And uh, another thing, on Friday, Brandy and I will be uh, celebrating 11 years of marriage. So... Uh, excited about that. Um, when I got the email from uh, Ryan a month or so ago asking me if I uh, wanted to teach on uh, uh, Wednesday night, I, my first thought, well, I can't really tell you what my first thought was, but uh, I told him yes. And, uh, you know, for a week or so, I had nothing. And uh, I was sitting up late one night just kind of thumbing back and forth through my Bible and uh, just turned to uh, the book of James and got to uh, flipping through there and turned to uh, chapter 3. And, uh, you know, I'll have to agree with Kevin that uh, what he said this Sunday, this doesn't get any easier. It just gets a little bit less terrifying each time, I think. But uh, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and uh, turn to uh, James chapter 3, and I'll read uh, verses uh, 1 through 12. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body, and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send from the same opening, both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Um, now, according to the, to the uh, things I read, the uh, author of this book was probably uh, James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, if this is true, he was a, a leader in the... Uh, uh, church there in Jerusalem, and according to Acts 15, was probably one of the authors of the letter that uh, the Jerusalem Council sent to the new believers there in Antioch. Um, in the later half of uh, James chapter 2, he uh, clarifies a, a fundamental Christian doctrine, which is that of uh, salvation by faith and not works. And he doesn't uh, um, contradict this doctrine, but he does clarify it by uh, saying that, that this uh, saving faith uh, must be uh, 
accompanied by evidence in the form of works or, you know, the outworking of, of that saving faith. This is not preaching a works-based religious system, but rather it, it does give us a uh, true picture of what genuine saving faith looks like. In this chapter, um, James uh, tells us that saving faith should produce um, words and, uh, and speech that's uh, fitting that faith. Uh, verse 1, where he says, uh, Let uh, not many of you become teachers, knowing that we'll uh, incur a stricter judgment. Uh, most of the commentaries uh, suggest that James is warning against becoming a teacher for the wrong reason. And this wrong reason would be pride or the desire for recognition and adoration that comes with public ministry. Uh, teaching is an awesome responsibility and should be treated with respect and care. And anyone desiring to be a teacher should weigh his motives first to make sure they're pure. Teachers and others in positions of authority in the church are judged by a stricter standard than anyone else because of their ability to influence others. This is especially true with teachers because they've been entrusted with teaching God's word to God's people. Any hint of pride or ulterior motives in the teacher will eventually find its way into his theology and teaching and spread to the people. He'll have to answer to God for this. Teachers are judged both internally by their own consciences and externally by those who observe their lives. And above all, they're judged by uh, God who judges all impartially. And verse 2, it says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Uh, there are many things in his life that can stumble a Christian. In this uh, particular verse, James is addressing undisciplined speech and how that can trip us up. And it, it, it's saying that those who can control their tongue and their speech uh, should be able to keep other areas of their life under control as well. Uh, simply put, those with an undisciplined mouth or undisciplined speech probably live an undisciplined lifestyle as well. Modern technology uh, we have nowadays gives us a whole bunch of different ways we can sin with what we say. There's things like MySpace and Facebook, instant messaging, cell phones, texting, blogs, and for those of us that have been on the internet for a while, you got IRC and ICQ. Does anybody remember ICQ or your ICQ number? Nobody? Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, all these things uh, give us ways to voice what's going on in our heart, whether that's good or bad. And remember, the, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It, uh, it's whatever we put out there in that case, it's out on the internet to see, and once it's there, you can't take it back. It's out there forever. And now, you know, I've read that uh, lots of businesses and uh, uh, human resource departments are starting to look through uh, people's MySpace pages and their blogs uh, to see if they're worth hiring, you know, because they write things and, you know, say things on those they probably wouldn't ever tell them in a job interview. And needless to say, uh, a lot of people have lost a prospective job because of what they wrote on their uh, MySpace page or their blog. Excuse me. 
hot up here. Okay, verses 3 and 4. Uh, now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Um, this verse illustrates how something so small can direct something so large and powerful. It also implies that control is in the hands of whoever has the reins or the rudder. Do we give the control to the Lord or to our own sinful nature? Um, quite a while ago, um, Brandy and I and, and uh, my younger brother and his wife were uh, fellowshipping in another church. And uh, they had a, a guest speaker one time for a couple days. And, and uh, after one of the sessions, um, uh, my brother and his wife were down in McDonald's. And... Uh, <clears throat> they uh, heard somebody out there in the drive-up window just, you know, cussing the person up one side and down the other. You know, like, what is going on here? You know, and they looked over, and it, it was that speaker. And they're like, what is this? You know, what, what, why is he doing that? You know, so they, they uh, told the pastor, and, uh, of course, the guy was, you know, real apologetic, you know, and, and felt really foolish, but... You know, that's just kind of an example of, of, you know, how, you know, imagine if there'd been, you know, a, you know, the room had been full of, you know, people that had been in, at that uh, session, how that would have went over. Um, in verse 5 and 6, um, so the tongue is a small part of the body, uh, yet it boasts of great things. Uh, Behold how great a, a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the, the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Uh, these couple verses show how much damage can be caused by such a small matter when uh, fueled by pride and boasting. Just like a forest fire can be started by a tiny spark, a prideful mouth or prideful speech can cause a lot of damage in a short amount of time. The results are still the same, though. There's a lot of damage. Things will never be quite the same again, and the healing takes a long time. Uh, verse 6 gets right to the root of, prop, of the problem that uh, when causing damage, the tongue is, or what, what was said, was set in motion by hell. Uh, this happens in many ways, like... Um, gossiping or cussing or cutting others down or, or uh, causing discord among the brethren. This is Satan's way of putting people at odds with each other to the point that those involved in it are defiled in the course of their lives are changed. In the church, this can uh, destroy a ministry and hinder the work of God, um, much to the delight of our enemy. And uh, I've seen uh, firsthand what, what can happen when... Uh, um, you know, discord is sown among the brethren at, at, you know, again, another church we were at. There were some people that were uh, just telling things and, you know, backstabbing people. And and uh, it went unchecked for a long time. It basically ended up splitting the church. And a lot of people left just, you know, broken and, and uh, you know, shipwrecked. And, you know, I've also seen... Um, you know, guys, you know, teach things from the pulpit that were just absolutely blasphemous. 
you know, and I just, you know, I pray none of that ever, ever happens here. And that's one of the things I appreciate about Ryan is that, uh, you know, not only does he, you know, teach us and, and feed us from God's word, but uh, he also, you know, looks out for us, you know, and if, you know, he sees anything odd going on, he's he's not afraid to deal with it. Um, so... Verse 7 and 8. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Every creature on earth has been tamed by man, like it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where it says, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it with the birds and other living creatures. Although the uh, tongue stands alone in its ability to resist being tamed or controlled by anyone. James even goes so far as to say that no one can do it. We may think we can, but not for very long. Just uh, wait till another driver runs you off the road or uh, steals that parking spot you had scoped out sometime. See how long it lasts. Um... If done on our own strength, eventually the poison in our own heart will find its way out and cause destruction, pain, and suffering. Only the Lord can truly control the tongue and heal the damage it causes. We're pretty much powerless to do it ourselves. Verses 9 through 12. Um, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both uh, fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Uh, These verses show us how uh, absurd and, and against nature it is to curse men with the same mouth that we bless the Lord with. It makes no sense to bless a creator and then turn right around and do damage to one of his created beings with something we say. On the one hand, we tell the Lord how righteous and holy and merciful he is, and then a minute later say the exact opposite of a person made in his image. As James says here, this should not be, just like you shouldn't expect to find seawater flowing from a mountain spring or, or be able to pick figs from an olive tree. This is as much against nature as it is for a Christian to speak prideful, hurtful things to another. As Christians, we're uh, new creations and we've been given a new heart. Out of the abundance of this new heart, we should speak words of hope, edification, grace, and truth, not slander, lies, and deceit. The world around us needs to see it, and our Lord and Savior died to free us from an uncontrollable tongue and make it possible. Um. So now that I've kind of given you the bad news, would you like to hear some good news? Let's uh, turn to Isaiah chapter uh, 6. I'll go ahead and read it. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. 
Seraphim stood above it, stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Um, you know, i got to tell you right now that when I read this, um, it was just so impactful, especially verse 7. That's, that's the heart of our God toward us right there, that he, you know, he just is waiting for us to, you know, wake up to, you know, to our true condition, you know, and... and and uh, confess our sin before him. Um, in the first four verses, <clears throat> the the prophet is is given a peek behind the the veil into the temple, right into the most holy place, where the Lord is seated on the mercy seat between the seraphim. Isaiah sees a glimpse of the worship going on there, with the seraphim declaring the holiness of the Lord and His complete dominion over the earth. Worship, right here, is one of the keys to keeping the tongue under the Lord's control. While we're in worship, we declare his glory, and our focus is directed to him, just like we did here tonight. Through worship, the Lord reasserts his authority over our lives. This also serves to remind the enemy who we belong to. Notice the power of the worship. The doorposts tremble when the angels worship the Lord. Imagine if that happened during a a worship service here sometime. This reminds us of the power of worship to change us and make our nature more like that of the Lord so that his power will show in our lives. Verse 5. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Um, The sight of the Lord's glory and, and being in the presence of the Lord's glory, coupled with the worship um, that the angels are are, uh, involved with, causes Isaiah to be confronted with his own sin and the sin of his people. This must have been a terrifying thing to be in the presence of the glory of the Lord and at the same time being aware of his sin. I was kind of thinking this must be the the same kind of feeling you get when you go zooming by a cop about 75 and, and see his lights come on and and he turns around and gets behind you. But uh, um, notice, though, that the Lord didn't have to do or say anything to cause Isaiah to admit his sin. He freely admits it. He didn't try to cover it up like Adam and Eve, and he didn't make excuses for it like King Saul did. He puts his trust in a merciful God and admits his sin and that of the people. And... The next verse here shows us that, that he's not disappointed. Uh, verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, 
this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Um, like I said earlier, verse 7 is probably the most impacting of, of this whole passage right here. Um, the Lord doesn't wait to act on um, Isaiah's admission of sin. That's just like our God, though. He wants to forgive you and can't wait for you to ask him to. He immediately sends an angel with a coal from the altar to touch the prophet's lips and cleanse them and forgive his sin. God can't stand sin being in his presence, so it had to be atoned for. That's one of the requirements of having a relationship with him is that uh, provision for forgiveness of sins must be made. The Father made atonement for his sin through his son Jesus. When we're touched by the king, whether it's through worship, getting in the word, or praying, or just spending time alone with him, we're changed. Now this passage here paints a picture of our Heavenly Father's heart towards us, that he loves us way too much to leave us in a sinful state. He'll do whatever's needed to wake us up to our true condition. And God doesn't hold grudges, and nothing we've done has taken him by surprise. Isaiah 42 gives us a promise that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not put out, which is a reference to the ministry of Jesus. And I realize this may be short, but I'll go ahead and and close with this. And Stuart, if you want to come up and and, uh, play us a couple songs. Um, Maybe you're here and you've been um, bruised by life or by a loved one. Or maybe you're um, really on fire for the Lord at one time, and now all that's left is just a smoldering wick, and you're afraid it's about to go out. Um, We read in this passage here that that the Lord has you covered. Um, Don't let these things poison you or or others through what you say or do. Let the Lord touch you and, and heal the broken areas in your life. So thank you, and God bless, and... And uh, Ryan should be back um, Saturday, and, and he'll be here Sunday. So we'll see you here Sunday. God bless.